Well, our scripture this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 10. We'll be looking at verses 19 through 25 together. So I invite you to turn there or swipe there on your phone or the words uh, will likely be on the screen. Um, But wherever you are, however you get to it, Hebrews 10 verses 19 through 25. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who is promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, just a reminder that this summer we are going to be looking at the church council's vision and goals, and this is the third week of that series as we examine where our church council has put us as a church, what trajectory they have put us on. And if you haven't uh, remembered the vision or the goals, uh, I'm going to read it and it will be on the screen here in just a second. But it is this, to see increased church engagement through intentional planning, spiritual discipleship, relational growth, and community engagement. To see increased church engagement through intentional planning, spiritual discipleship, relational growth, and community engagement. And this morning, we're going to be looking at that third goal, relational growth. What does it mean for us as the church to come together, to follow Jesus in this world, to exist as a community? What does God give us as a community that is the church? What sets us apart in many ways? Now, to begin this kind of look into relational growth, as it is taught to us in Hebrews 10, I think we have to first get some context. Now, Hebrews 10 in the book of Hebrews is written to a Jewish Christian community of faith. It's all about talking about the temple and sacrifice and all kinds of things that had existed with the people for a long time. Now, some of you know about the Old Testament temple sacrifice and Levitical law and rules around those things, but if you don't, Back in the day, you had the temple, right? And the temple had multiple courts. And depending on your status in life and faith, you could only get so close inside the temple because at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies. Now, this is the place where the Ark of the Covenant, you'll remember from Exodus, where the Ten Commandments are placed in a box. Or if you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, that gold box that's in the movie, this is where that would have sat. Now, that didn't just sit out for everybody to see, but it actually sat behind a giant curtain, kind of like the one that's depicted in the picture on the screen. Now, the reason for the curtain was that it was believed that God's presence rested behind the curtain. And so today, when we pray on earth as it is in heaven, for the ancient Jewish people, that is where it was on earth as it was in heaven. Literally, the holy of holies lined up with heaven, and God's presence came down into that space. And so if you wanted to go into God's presence, you went into the holy of holies with one issue. There was only one person who could go into the holy of holies, and that was the high priest. 
Now, once a year on a, a season, a festival called Yom Kippur, which is still uh, celebrated today in Jewish communities, the high priest would come and do two things. One, they would take two goats, two kids, and they would sacrifice one of them. And they would take that blood with them into the Holy of Holies. And they would go into that space and they would ask God to forgive the people. Not just individuals, but all of the people for the sins that they had committed in that year. Now, when they came out, if everything was accepted and everything was okay, then they would take the other goat and the high priest would lay its hands on the head of the goat and cast the sins of the people into the goat before sending it out into the desert, sending the sin of the people away. Now, they called that the scapegoat. So if you didn't know where that term came from, that's where it came from. Now, another thing that would happen during Yom Kippur was that they would be worried about the high priest. Is the high priest actually worthy enough to go behind the curtain this year? Has the high priest fully asked forgiveness for his sins? Is, is it okay for the high priest to be in the presence of God? And so tradition has what they would do is they would tie a, a belt of bells around the high priest's waist. And they would tie a scarlet rope around the high priest's foot. And when the high priest went in, they would have some priest who would stand just on the other side of this curtain and listen. And what they were listening for was the jingle of those bells. And so as the high priest went through with the incense and the blood from the goat and the other things and, and did whatever the high priest was doing in there, asking forgiveness in God's presence for the people's sins that year, they would listen for those bells to keep jingling. Because it was believed if the bells stopped that God was not pleased with the high priest that year. And so that the high priest would be struck down. Now, what's the point of the rope? Well, it's pretty simple. If the bells stop jingling, then the priest would pull the rope to pull the high priest's body back out of the Holy of Holies because they couldn't go in there where God's presence was. That is how particular this space was in the temple and how important they believed that curtain was. Now, we don't have any historical examples of the high priest keeling over inside of the Holy of Holies, and maybe it was a heart attack or something. We don't know if there was one, but we do know that they at least passed down this tradition that the high priest could have not been holy enough to be in there. To even be in the presence of God took extra levels of purity, they believed, and not anyone could have access now, what would happen in Yom Kippur is if everything went well, the high priest would come back out jingling through the curtain, and he would announce to the people, the sins have been forgiven of the people this year. And they would have a great celebration, a great festival to celebrate the fact that God had once again forgiven them. And they'd do it all again the next year, and the next year, and the next year, with only one person having access to the presence of God. Well, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, and particularly Hebrews 10, really wants to lay out for the people that everything about that system has changed in Jesus. In Hebrews 10, we're reminded that Jesus literally rips the barrier between us and God. When Jesus breathes his last on the cross, we're told that the curtain in the temple is torn in half. It falls to the ground. The Holy of Holies is no longer separated from the people. The people now have access to God, that there is no barrier. There is no belt of bells needed to go to God's presence, that anyone in Christ can go into that place and can experience the fullness of who God is. 
Hebrews 10 also reminds us that as we, the people, killed Jesus on the cross, God still offered us forgiveness in spite of even that. That now we find forgiveness of our sins, not once a year when somebody goes into the presence of God, but every single day that we follow Jesus in this world. There's no longer scapegoats needed. Because Jesus has died so that we can find forgiveness every day. A forgiveness that is forever and that is broadly given to those who follow. But what does not change, Hebrews 10 reminds us, is that the purpose of seeking forgiveness is not fully about the individual. Jesus didn't just come and die for us as individuals. That Jesus came into this world for all of us, for the whole world, for a community. But today, as we look at the church, we see that we've really made the church about the individual, right? It's about us. It's about me. I don't go to that church anymore because the worship doesn't speak to me in the right way. I, I don't go to Sunday school anymore because I don't like the lesson that the person is teaching. I, 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 me, me, me. We've made church about us. But in many ways, Jesus reminds us throughout the Gospels, the writers of the epistles and Hebrews remind us that church is about us. It's about all of us growing together as we come into this place saying we have found forgiveness. We come together to rejoice just like those people when the high priest came back through the curtain and said God has accepted the sacrifice and they would rejoice. They would throw parties that is what the church exists to be. That's communally coming together in the presence of Christ, knowing that we now all have access to God's presence without anybody standing in between us. And that we get to do that together. Because in reality, Jesus is about community. At the core of everything Jesus did was about community. When he healed someone, he wasn't just healing them of some ailment they had. He was restoring them back to the community of the synagogue and the temple at the time. He was bringing them back into community. When he calls his disciples, he doesn't just go get Peter and say, okay, you know what, Peter, it's just going to be you. He goes and gets 12 other guys. And then even more disciples follow them in that space. He literally builds a community. When he leaves this earth, he calls the community that will follow him to go into the world together and to share the gospel. Jesus is about community. But over the last decade or so, we've kind of changed that a bit. When I was in college, there was a spoken word artist that uh, did this kind of video called Relationship Over Religion, where he talked about how what we had done is, is made the church something more important than Christ, that religion had overtaken the personal relationship that people are supposed to have with Jesus. And this led to a movement of people my age leaving the church and saying, you know what, I don't need the church anymore. I don't need the community. I can grow in Christ without any of that. But the reality of it is, is while there is something to be said about how the church has messed up a ton of things in its 2,000 years existence, reality is Jesus still calls us together as a community. That an important part of us growing as individual Christians is uniting together in this space. It's listening for God's voice together and growing together. Because we've made Christianity about the individual. Pray the prayer, get into heaven yourself. 
But in reality, the individual part's only the beginning. Every single day that follows that is us coming together in Christ, is coming together as the community, is coming together to grow as Jesus has called us to. Because we know when we look out into the world that when people get together, the world can be changed. We saw this throughout the last year, right? As we faced down the the barrel of a pandemic and tried to figure out what are we supposed to do, we looked out into the world and saw amazing ways that people came together. Communities rallied for frontline workers, cheering from their rooftops and windows last spring, providing to those who were providing aid to give essential life-giving work to people who needed it. My friend Ben lives in Brooklyn, right over top of a hospital in New York City. And every night at a certain time during a shift change, they would come out on their balconies, they would play music, they would scream, they would cheer as the frontline workers left the back exit of the hospital, literally going by freezer trucks full of bodies of people who had died from the pandemic. They knew that as those people came out and saw what in some ways they would see as their failures as healthcare workers, that they would need a reminder that the work that they were doing is important. And so these apartment buildings full of people would come out and they would cheer and they would gather and that encouraged those people to keep moving on. Communities around the world created grassroots movements that gave virtual tip jars for service workers who could not take off work during the pandemic because they needed their paycheck, as small as it may have been. And so communities created these virtual tip jars where you could go and give tips to people to make sure that they could continue to live. In the Netherlands, the Red Cross led a group called Ready to Help, which was a network of 70,000 people who said, we will be ready to mobilize whenever you need us. And they literally changed the landscape of the pandemic in that nation. An Irish grandmother decided that kids needed good bedtime stories. So she created an Instagram page where she read bedtime stories, not only to her grandkids, who she couldn't see in person, but to grandchildren all across the world. People placed stuffed teddy bears in windows for children to see when they went outside to play since they couldn't be around other people. And a lot of people who did this were senior adults who couldn't go outside but would put a teddy bear in the window and their neighborhood children would come by and see it and they would be able to interact through those window spaces. Around the world, neighbors sang and played music with and for one another. And in Brazil... When they couldn't get control of COVID, it was spreading rapidly. The gangs and the favelas came together and made people stay in their house. Because I guess that's one way to force people to stay in. The gangs united and said, we're going to stop the spread of this in our community. In each of these examples, if individuals had stood up and tried to do something, it may not have had a big impact. But because groups of people decided to get together, the tide of the pandemic was literally pushed in a different direction. We found hope, and we continued forward even in the face of uncertainty and death, because people had united together to guide the world further. Hebrews 10 reminds us as a people of faith that community is not just an important part of the world's growth like it was in covid that it is also critical to our journey as people of faith. And so as we look at what does it mean for us to be the church and what does God give us as Hebrews 10 relates what the community of Christ is, we find a few things that I think are important. 
The first of which is that growing together gives us confidence. Now, one of my favorite sayings, and I said it a lot when I was a campus minister, is that we can do far more together than we ever can apart. Now, we've seen this in the history of the church, right? The early church came together, and they believed that they needed one another. They took care of each other. They prayed together. They served together. Even when they went out to share the gospel with other people, they often did that together. Even when they were persecuted and dying, they often died together. Because they believed that community was important. And because they continue to gather in community, we gather in the community of Christ today. Because it gave them the confidence, even in the face of death, to keep going and to keep sharing this message that they believed was important. When the Baptists were forming in the United States during the Revolution era and other times, they began to form these small churches that were autonomous, like we are. We make our own decisions. No bishop tells us what to do. We are true Baptists in that way. But even back then, they realized that we can't do it all alone. If we're going to follow Jesus' call to share the gospel with the world, then little Benson Baptist Church can't do that in Africa. But we can come together with other Baptist churches and form denominations that can then pull together money and send people out. Community was important to changing the world, even in those spaces. We look at things like the civil rights movement of the 1960s and 70s, and we remember individuals like Dr. King and other people. And we kind of see them as carrying the movement, but the reality of it is, is that if it was just those men and women as individuals trying to do something, we probably wouldn't have seen much movement. But it was because people rallied with them and around them that our world and our nation changed during that era. Because they knew, men like Dr. King, pastors, knew that community was going to be needed if they were going to change the world in which we lived. The reality of it is, is we remember individuals, but no movement of change that has ever changed the world was done by just one person alone. And so Hebrews 10, 23 says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. The reality of it is, as individuals, when we go out into this world and we try to change the world, our faith is often going to waver. It's often going to lead us to a place where we're not sure that we can stand, where we say to God, what is going on? Where we don't remember the faithfulness of God. But when we go together as a community moving forward, we can do that with full confidence. Because when I mess up, or I doubt my faith, or I doubt God's guidance in my life, when I'm moving with you all, one of you can hold me up and remind me that the one who is called is faithful. When we do that in community, we have one another. And it gives us a confidence to step out into the world and believe that the world can be changed because we have united in Christ together. When we stand together, there's nothing that can knock us down, that can stop the gospel message of Jesus. And so growing together gives us confidence. But growing together also introduces us to the holy. To enter into the presence of God in the holy of holies was to enter into a set-apart place. That's what holy means, right? To be set apart. And so they believed when you went in there, you went into a set-apart place where something special happened. 
Today, as the community of Christ, we step into the world together reminding one another that every single thing in our lives, our jobs, our school, our friends, our other relationships, our church, even going to the grocery store, every single place is the holy of holies in our world. That in all of those spaces, God speaks to us and through us. And we are introduced to the holy. Even those folks who are grilling on a boat, hopefully not on a boat, but near a boat right now this weekend, can experience the presence of God where they are because the curtain was torn down. Moving together as the community of Christ in the world is saying to the world that there is no place, there is no situation where Christ cannot be experienced, where Christ cannot speak to us and where God's presence is not accessible to us. But we do that as we go into the world and say to them that even we, as the church, aren't always holy. We're not always perfect. That one of the holy things we experience in this world is that we are messed up. <laughs> But we still get to share the gospel. We're still called to partner with Jesus in this world. Because the church is a holy community, not because we're perfect, but because we're actually not. Often the church goes out into the world trying to look so shiny and so great to the world around us to say that we are holy, we are set apart, you are outside of this. When what we should be doing is just existing as we are. And perfect people that do not have all of the answers, that say, I don't know as much as anything else, but that believe that the one we follow can still change the world. As the late author Rachel Hutt Evans once wrote, the church is God saying, I'm throwing a banquet, and all these mismatched, messed up people are invited. Here, have some wine. That is the purpose of the church coming together and growing together is to say that even in the ways that we don't get it right, we still find holy community when we gather together. Which also reminds us that growing together guides us toward a bigger purpose. When we gather together as the church, we do it more than just the Masons or the Civic Group or the Rotary Club or some other group of people. We don't just get together because it's fun. Or because it's what we want to do. We don't just get together because we like seeing people. Or we like youth group. Or we like whatever it is fill in the blank. We do all of those things in this space. But we gather together as a church because we believe that there is a bigger purpose for this world. That Jesus tearing down the curtain in the temple wasn't just symbolic. That it opened up the holy to the entirety of the world. And that when we get together and we fellowship and we serve and we study scripture and we worship together, we're doing it as a way of ushering in the kingdom of God to making this world better, to showing the world around us that they have no barrier to the presence of God either, that they have a place. There are many organizations in our world that exist to change the world, but ours exist to change the heart of the world to believe that there is still hope. And in that, growing together as the church makes us better. 
It should make us better in the long run. As Hebrews 10, 24 says, And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and to good deeds. As we get together, let us consider how to spur on one another to love and to service. In other words, let us gather together and remind people what it's like to be Christ. Because at the end of the day, when you boil down what Christ did in the three years of his ministry on earth, what you find is a man who led the way by serving those whom not everybody was comfortable with and by loving deeply in the face of sin, in the face of things messing up, in the face of the darkness of the world, in the face of an empire that was not going anywhere, in the face of a church that was trying to change. Jesus loved deeply. And it was exactly because of his love for people that he was nailed to a cross. And so the writer of Hebrews says, as you come together as the church, it should result in you loving more deeply. They shall know we are Christians by our love, the 20th century hymn says. But as we look out into the world, we know that the church in the world is often known for what we hate as people like to believe, or our political affiliations, or our organizational affiliations. According to Jesus and the writer of Hebrews, this is not what the church is about. We do not gather to build walls of division between one another, but to spur one another on in love and in serving the world. So when the world looks at the church, what they should actually see is a community of people that say, we don't have it all right. But what we do know is right is that we love you. We're here to serve you. And we believe that the one we follow is going to change this world. But the writer of Hebrews doesn't want to leave the community with that. So I can't leave you with that either because he gives them a warning. He says in Hebrews 10.25, Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but instead encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is some of the Christian communities that exist during this time have stopped meeting together. They stopped getting together for worship. They've stopped gathering for scripture study of the scripture they had. They've stopped getting together. And the writer of Hebrews says, as you get together as a community, there will be things you won't agree on. There will be moments where you don't want to be in that space with the other people that are the followers of Christ. But even in those moments, never stop gathering together. Because the community of the church at its core is a communal journey. And to truly follow Christ as disciples in this world, we need one another. We won't always get along. We won't always agree on what's right or wrong, but our call is to still find ways to come together even in those spaces. To love one another across our divisions. To not stop journeying as a community no matter what. It's hard, but as we said last week, no one who's ever been a disciple of Jesus has found this journey to be easy. And Jesus didn't even promise that it would be easy. And so that brings us to our challenge for this week. Examine your own role in this community, Benson Baptist, over the last few years. Have you grown further away or closer? Has being here given you hope, spurned you to love deeply and serve others in impactful ways? Where are you today in relation to the larger community?
And is today Christ calling you to dive deeper and closer again? How can you say yes to serving more in this community in the weeks and months ahead as we grow together? Benson, we need one another. Church, we need one another in this world, and the world outside of these walls needs us to come together to share the gospel because our faith depends on how we grow together. As the old African proverb says, if you want to go quickly, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. May we be challenged to do just that as we move forward as the church.